pick up on that in this session today and talk a little more about developing a base church. And I'm going to ask you if you're turning your Bibles, first of all, we'll read from Acts chapter 11. We pick up in the 19th verse and we read to verse 21. And it says this, those, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Jews, to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So this is where the gospel starts going into beyond the Jews, Jewish world into the Gentile world. It says in verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. I'm going to ask you just to turn to the next chapter, chapter 13, and we'll read just three verses there from verse 1. Now, they, they planted, they went into Antioch and a church got planted there. It says, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, so important, the Holy Spirit commissioned, the Holy Spirit called, the Holy Spirit set apart for, the Holy Spirit equipped. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And then if you just go to the 14th chapter, and I want to read from verse 21 through to verse 28. It says, They preached the good news in the city and won a large number of disciples. This is Paul and Barnabas being sent out from Antioch, commissioned by the Holy Spirit, hands laid on them, and done the biblical way. <clears throat> they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. This was their message. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. From Attilia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how that he had opened the doors, the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time in Antioch with the disciples, developing a base church. These three chapters of the Word of God have a lot to do with our understanding of what a base church really means. Now, while the word Base church isn't really in the Bible. It's seen, the concept is clearly taught throughout the New Testament. And just if I can back up for a while and say, so most Christians somehow or other don't truly serve the purpose of God 
in their generation, as uh, Acts chapter 13, 36 says that David served the purposes of God in his generation. So few Christians served the purposes of God to the extent that they could in their generation. And that's equally true. So few churches actually serve the purposes of God to the extent that they really could. It's not that they necessarily deliberately uh, disobey or try not to serve God's purposes. Very often it's just we don't know what, what it entails. And so I'm hoping to help us to see something of what that entails in the seven things that I cover. And it's going to be hard to cover it all in one session. I might have to go to a second session because I'm trying to keep these messages short down at about 15 to 20 minutes, sometimes just a little over. But understand today that God's desire is that every Christian serve the purposes of God in their generation to the full extent that they could. And so it's God's desire for every church to do the same. And while we're not all, not every church is going to become huge, every single church, regardless of size, can become a base church. And I want to try to share a little of how that can come about. And I gave you the seven ingredients or characteristics that are a basic minimum to, the base, to, the, to being a base church. I'm not going to read them to you again. I'm just going to dive straight in and talk about each and every one of those points, those seven points. Uh, I can't do it to the extent I want to. Time doesn't allow. But I'm going to try and give you some poignant, uh, important aspects of what that means and what to do to make that happen. It goes without saying that as an eldership in your church, or even if you're going to go and plant a church, and you're just starting out, and you don't have an eldership, there needs to be so much prayer in your own heart, asking God to help you to understand some of what I'm saying here, but more so what the Holy Spirit is trying to commute from the Word of God, uh, that from its inception, if you're going to plant a church, it'll be planned in your planning through prayer, preparation, and all that you do, you'll be preparing for and become, becoming a base church. And if your church is already established, but it's not a base church, a real base church, as we see in these seven aspects here um, that, that I'm going to be, be covering, that you'll be praying that for God to give you wisdom as to how to help bring this about in the life of your church. So then let's go into the first of those, um, those points. A base church models, lives out New Testament kingdom of God values, which really is genuinely the, the life of Christ and the government of God and the rule and reign of Christ in our lives here on earth that we hope to see in a, the bigger, better extent in that millennium king, kingdom when Christ returns. So we are to model New Testament kingdom of God values, which is the life of Christ. We're to model, just if I can highlight a few things, we're to model what it really means to worship. And I covered that a few se uh, sessions ago uh, on what is true worship, uh, that it's a heart thing that is expressed through every part of our being. But worship, true worship is the worship of John chapter 4, 24. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit from inside and in truth, in accordance to the Word of God and what Jesus has revealed to us. So, where there is freedom, real, true freedom, freedom to express love, devotion, what's in our hearts, freedom to clap, to dance, 
to run, to sing, to, to stand, to sit. Freedom that, really, that allows us to be passionate about what we believe, enthusiastic in our worship, respectful and militant at times, loving at other times, where the musicians are happy and friendly and, and, and truly involved. Not just playing their instruments or singing their song, but truly involved, passionate, happy, friendly. And then it also is to model the extended family life of the Bible. In other words, covenantal relationships where we genuinely love each other in a godly way, where we fruit, we, we're faithful to each other at every level, where we care genuinely for one another, where our friendships are godly, our relationships are godly, where we care for one another's families, their children. We don't criticize when they go a little off path. We care enough to love them and be available to them. It also models true biblical preaching, teaching, priesthood of all believers and the gifts of the Spirit. You could look at Acts chapter 20, 27, 1 Peter 2 verses, verse 5, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, just some of those things. Where we, this true biblical preaching, preaching the whole counsel of God, all of that's in the Word of God, not just selected subjects, but all of the Word of God. Everything that's there and all of the expressions of the life of God through the priesthood of all believers, the gifts of the Spirit, etc. Where there's no compromise, no humanism, no hype, no unbiblical emphasis and no playing to the crowd through prejudices and preferences, etc. It also models passionate biblical praying where that is, can be for individuals and in our togetherness is Christ, where we praying for the nations, praying for revival, praying for salvation, praying for the discipling of the nations, praying for church plants and praying for our city, not only our nation, our city, it's officials, it's politicians, it's economy, uh, the Proverbs 11.11 kind of stuff for our country, praying for our country. It's politicians, it's economy, it's education, it's families, etc. 1 Timothy 2, you can read that from verse 1 to 10 at Proverbs 14, 34. Praying for churches, all the churches in the city, in the country and around the world. Praying for those churches that relate to us in the New Covenant Ministries team aspect, where the team that, that are working in partnership with, with, teams around, with the team around the world. To be righteous and Christ-like. It, for churches to their influence in the country to increase, to be fruitful. And then we're we praying for ourselves, our own church, using scripture as, a, as an essential in our prayers, praying the kind of Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, Philippians 1, 5, 9 to 11, the Colossians 1, 3 to 13, and chapter 4, verse 2 to 6, praying those prayers where all the believers we are becoming aware of these scriptures and praying them together. We're becoming a base church. These are some of the ingredients. Where there's true apostolic prophetic Christianity. Where we're going and not just gathering. Where we're sending and not just staying. Where we're giving and not just getting. Where we're prophetic and apostolic, which I covered in that last session. But it also models church planting and church planters where we're working in true, submissive, cooperative co uh, partnership with the translocal team, not competing with them, not being unfaithful to them, not 
waiting for our opportunity to steal churches and do our own thing, but working together in, in cooperation, partnership, submissive attitude, really loving, standing by. Moving on, it also models the sharing of our faith in a gracious, sane way with our friends, our family and workplace, wherever we find ourselves. It's so interesting in John chapter 1 verse 35 to 46, when, when these disciples get, get the call of God, they come to Christ, one of the, it says this of one of them, the first thing he did was to, was to bring his brother to Jesus. You'll read that in 1 John 35 to 46. We want to see our families come to Christ. We want to see friends. Our church needs to model what that means, bringing people to Christ. So we share our faith in a gracious, sane way with our lips and with our lives, our behavior, our dress code, our morality. We're not living immoral lives at any level that we're dependable and trustworthy. And it also means we model all the different faces um, of what church is portrayed in the New Testament. I think I mentioned there's 42 of them and all. I'm just going to pick out a few again, that we're the body, we're an army, we're a building, we're a family, we're the pillar and foundation of truth, we're a place of healing for the nations, we're the bride of Christ, and so we could go on. We all need to know how to conduct ourselves in the household of God, which Paul writes to Timothy and tells him 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. So that's the first thing that uh, a base church, it models New Testament kingdom of God lifestyle. Secondly, it reflects New, New Testament kingdom of God values with lifestyle. The 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 4 through to 10, if you'll read that for yourself. And our values have to be the will of God for our lives. And His will is found in His word. Uh, you're not going to find God's will elsewhere when we see his will in, and it's not his will, the will of the Father, one should perish. That we should pray without ceasing, uh, be gr grateful. Um, the, these things say, this is the will of God for you. So what then are these values? Some of these values are, and I want to just quickly enumerate a few. Living in the true grace of God. You see, there are three outcomes of being confronted with grace teaching. You can either... Through grace teaching, when it comes to you, you can get into true, genuine liberty, but there's the possibility of getting into licentiousness or reacting to grace and moving into even stronger uh, legalism. You know, unfortunately, with, the, with, with licentiousness, it generally degenerates into that until we get so degenerate that we, we, we eventually find ourselves in the New Age movement. And unfortunately, it seems to me quite a lot of charismatic style churches have become new age. Legalism, unfortunately, degenerates into cultism, occultism, where God is seen as an angry God, frustrated God. And we, we just get to where we're holding on to people and forcing them, coercing them, manipulating them. So we've got to, to live in the true grace of God. We need to know the difference between God's part and our part in our salvation. In other words, the repentance, faith, obedience, what we must do and what he will do. Some grace teaching is confused 
cause more confusion than cl clarity, unfortunately. It confuses works with obedience. We can't work for our salvation, but we must be obedient because of salvation. And so often, believers, we forget that God says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, we're commanded to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Don't confuse works with obedience. Things that only God can do, just to touch a few quickly. Jesus did everything that is needed for our salvation. We can't do anything about saving ourselves. But in order for what Jesus did for us to become real in our lives, we've got to cooperate with him. And some of the things that, that God can't do for us are these. I'm just going to, God can't repent for us. It's a horrendous and serious error to insinuate or imply in any way that grace means that God repents for us. It's both biblically and morally impossible. No one person can repent for another. In fact, God's word says in Acts 17.30, God commands all men to repent. He's done everything. You can't, you can't add to what the cross did, but you've got to turn from your sin and put your faith in Christ. So the second thing, Jesus can't, God can't uh, believe for us. We've got to repent and believe. Faith is a gift from God, yes. But whether we will act upon it or not is the important thing. And all men have faith. While we have to recognize that God is faithful and trustworthy, we've got to move to that place where we put our trust in Him and commit ourselves to Him unreservedly. God can't obey for us. He'll help us. He'll help us to repent. He'll help us to believe. He'll help us to obey. But once again, the choice is ours. Truth must change our behavior. Read John 8, 31 and 32. And so many people are trying to believe, with and with, but they have no intention of obeying. And if you will not obey, you'll never have Bible faith. Only faith that results in obedience brings God's blessing. And then, of course, God can't seek the Lord for us. We've got to seek the Lord with all our hearts. And so we could go on. I hope you get the picture, and I'm sure that God can help you. If you're going to be a base church, you're going to have to teach these truths unreservedly, without apology. Otherwise, we'll always have fragmented, weak believers and a weak church, people coming and going, the back door just as big as the front door, no matter how attractive and we make our programs. A base church also exists for the sake of others. In other words, the fulfilling of the Great Commission, discipling the nations. If base church makes all of its people, all of its resources available for the winning and discipling of other nations. We are constantly praying for other nations, for unreached people groups, as well as our own neighborhood, our own city and our own country. It makes its finances, its equipment and all of its other resources available to the togetherness, our togetherness through the team for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 through to 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 to 9, and then verse 15, Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 to 20. 
And this is all part of God's protection of the sheep. Um, when we make, we've got to make all of our people available also for transfocal work or church, uh, church planting. Paul was able to go in, as you see in Acts 16, 1 to 4, he could go into a church and take and say, I'd like Timothy to come with me, and they made Timothy available. In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 7 and 11 to 19, we see that the church at Antioch was planted by people that were in the persecution in, Antioch, in, in Jerusalem, and they went and planted the church. And so leaders must have open hands to release the people to go. But the people themselves must be faithful and go, and go with the endorsement of the, of the leadership, as we see in Acts 13, 1 to 4, and Acts 15, verse 28. You see, I've always expected, while I've been in leadership in a church, I've always expected to grow our numbers, but I've also encouraged people to go. And so the elders need to make statements inviting people to join them on trips. I've always tried to tell people, encourage the people in the churches I've pastored, come with us, get out of our country where you live at least once every one to two years to another nation and see what God's doing in and through the team and what we're involved in around the world. See what he's doing in other nations. And while we're talking about a base church exists for the sake of others, it's also where all, all other nations, all kinds of people are truly welcome and loved, whether they black, white, colored, yellow, whatever the case may be, whether they're rich or poor, educated or uneducated, clean or even dirty, whatever it is, where they're all welcome. And so we need to develop a great commission slash discipling of the nation's culture right from the inception of the church. The Matthew 28, the Acts 1, 8 thing, where we have a heart and love for the people, no matter what their color, creed, language, or, or anything else. Where our community, city, country, and other countries of the world are welcome. Um, praying for certain countries, distributing, displaying what we're doing elsewhere in the world. I wonder how many people in your church know what New Covenant Ministries is doing around the world. Whether you even inform people, whether you tell them that they can go on to ncmi.net and, and uh, global, etc., and see what God's doing around the world. Uh, develop a church planting culture, how to lead people to Christ possibly have a, a most wanted list in your church of people you want your, to pray for, friends, uh, neighbors, colleagues, etc., most wanted, where you and the church pray for them day by day, crusades and outreach. And I have to finish this, this, this uh, second point, I think it is, or third point, where true spiritual warfare constantly takes place, where people truly understand that vibrant, Prayer is essential to the ongoing involvement of Christ in our midst by the Holy Spirit and in all of our affairs. And this, when we pray vibrant Bible prayers, it's like barrels of fuel stored for, for the angels of God to, to become involved and have something to work with. Read Revelation chapter 8 verses 3 to 5. And I'll pick up on this in the next session. God bless you.